You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, the New York Mets introduced Kodai Senga to the media today. Going to go through that press conference and also talk about what we can expect from the Japanese star pitcher next season. Also in the final segment, I want to circle back to a press conference from last week, Brandon Nimmo getting reintroduced as the Mets' starting center fielder, eight-year deal for him, what it means to see him get that moment and get to finish off his career in a Mets uniform. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com where I work as the managing editor. Now, Kodai Senga was introduced today, and uh, it, it was good to see the Mets kind of unveil their star acquisition. One of them, at least, we're still waiting on Justin Verlander, but, man, is it great to see the, the Mets, you know, being the, the big spenders again, making these moves, having these press conferences, and also being back to a little more normal setting uh, then, then last off season, even and before that, with the lockout and all those things, and COVID the year prior, feels like normal baseball again. And uh, great to see Kodai Senga in person, see him stateside, get a kind of sense a little bit of his personality. Uh, it does seem like he is really relishing this opportunity. He he starts off the press conference with a prepared. A uh, little statement, you know, in English, just basically saying, I'm Kodai Sang of the New York Mets. I'm excited to be here, all that good stuff. Said, let's go, Mets. Got to love that. Uh, and then we get into the questions and, and also Billy Epler's introduction as well, which I thought uh, was very interesting. One of the things that I really um, took from that was not only the research the Mets had done on him, because I think that's obvious. I mean, I think every team in baseball tries uh, to have, you know, some due diligence and scouting across the board. So, Said they've been scouting him for years. Good to know. Um, and, and really talked about meeting him in November and how things really went from there. But he also mentioned how Kodai Senga was a, deve- a developmental prospect in Japan. And it's rare that those players really have careers, much less become stars. He also spoke about how Senga won five championships out there and often started game one of those series, if not the closing games, and even did have experience early in his career pitching in big games out of the bullpen. So, you know, this is a guy that that's a winner that wanted to win and saw New York and saw the Mets in the place where he could achieve that. And it really does feel like, from everything he said in that press conference, uh, you know, this has been a dream of his to star on this stage. You know, he did everything he wanted to out there, but the ultimate goal for him was always to come over here. And he also spoke about Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer a bit, how those are pitchers that everyone from over in Japan knows about. And it, there was an attraction there to come pitch in that staff. I think when they asked him, you know, why did he choose the Mets? He said, well, they were they expressed great interest in me and I wanted to join 
that that veteran pitching staff. So, you know, this is very much a, a free agent that shows the Mets. It's not just, uh, let's be honest, the Mets throw $130 million at Max Scherzer, you get him to sign. Now, when Scherzer was introduced, he obviously spoke very glowingly about the Mets in the process, and I, I think a lot really did go into Scherzer's decision, but the money talks, and while the Mets did spend at the top end to get a Justin Verlander this year, you're starting to see the Mets not maybe have to pay such a premium to bring free agents in. There's guys that actually want to pitch in New York and pitch for this ball club, and and, and suddenly there's this perception that's changing when you have ownership so committed to winning. Guys can really buy into the fact that, yeah, I can get paid my market value, but I can go play for what's becoming a glamour franchise in a big market that has big aspirations. And Kodai Senga is really the greatest example of that, to get him on this contract. I know there's a lot of people saying he's unproven and all that. We'll get to that in the next segment. But his market value was likely higher than $15 million a year. There was probably teams out there that would have paid him a little bit more than that. But they might not have offered him that opt-out. And So between the opportunity to pitch in New York to play for a winner, to get that opt-out where he can prove he's a star that he thinks he is and, and, and can have the same success and translate it here in three years and then maybe test the market as one of the best starting pitchers at a young enough age still. I mean, I think the Mets really were attractive on all fronts for Kodai Senga. And from the Mets' perspective, you're getting a pitcher that wants to win a championship that has championship experience, albeit in another league, who, I I put it this way, how many pitchers on the open market this year have started a game one of a championship round? Justin Verlander? Is that it? Is that end of list? And the Mets got both of them? Granted, I'm not saying that, you know, the MPP, you know, playoff experience is exactly as much as, you know, whatever playoff experience you want to ha- you have or, or give to, you know, a Jacob DeGrom or the other top free on the market. And obviously, DeGrom did pitch some big playoff games for the Mets and pitched game one uh, against the Dodgers and the NLDS. And I'm trying to remember when else he would have pitched. I, I know Harvey pitched game one of the World Series, and I think DeGrom pitched game two based on how things lined up. But the bottom line here is, this guy does have experience pitching on big stages. It's not quite the MLB stage, but people care about baseball out there. And there's, there's a lot of people at those games. There's a lot of pressure and the pressure does translate. So yes, you have to wonder about, you know, the smaller baseball there to the size of the baseball here. How is his ghost fork going to, going to come over? How how is it all going to look? But this is a guy that is really singularly focused and, I love seeing him have some fun in this press conference. You know, some questions that kind of stuck out to me. There was one where they asked him about that pitch, his legendary ghost fork, and and what went into it and all that. And he just kind of wryly said, practice. Uh, Who do you want to face the Phillies lineup? Um, You know, a lot of really interesting responses. um, And all of them kind of based on that, that overall desire to win. And also to, to get better. I mean, that was a big thing that Billy Appler preached, that this is a guy that, that really, really does work for it, that that really was uh, never kind of promised to have the success. He wasn't like a like a Shohei Otani-type prospect where he was 
kind of one of the chosen ones out there where you knew at a young age he was going to be special. Um, it, it wasn't that for him. It was a developmental process to get to the heights of being a star pitcher out there. And he's coming to the Mets with the intention to translate his success. And this was an ultimate goal for him to pitch in the big leagues, um, you know, you know, stateside here. And he wants to keep getting better. And he thinks that he can continue to get better. And he can make the smoothest transition pitching in a Mets uniform. And, and look, he is this, this really high-end gamble the Mets are taking. I think at the price tag, the gamble is, is not as much as we thought it was going to be. But... To go from a Chris Bassett to a Kodai Senga, in some respects, there's risk there. And I want to get to that in just a minute. Before we do, though, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. They've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. BetOnline is always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Last time I checked, plus 900 Mets to win the World Series. If you want to jump on that, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in the action. Bet online where the game starts. Now, looking over. Uh, the Mets' rotation right now, and, and comparing it to last year. I know we've done this a bunch, but just to reiterate where they went from and, and where they're at now, you go from Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer atop to Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer atop. Obviously, I think come playoff time, if everyone's healthy, the Mets took a slight step back, but you feel a lot better about Justin Verlander's chances of staying healthy, and the guy just pitched the lowest ear, right? And all of Major League Baseball want to Cy Young, so... Call it a wash, whatever you want to do there. You go to 3-4. Last year, it was uh, you know, Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, unless you want to call Carrasco the four, but we'll just say Bassett and Walker for the sake uh, of an easy conversation here. You now go to Kodai Senga and Jose Quintana. I've seen a lot of people kind of question the Quintana signing and also the Senga signing. I think Quintana, you look at the history prior to last season. And it's not pretty. He really had some struggles. He was fantastic as a White Sox. He got traded to the Cubs. Had like a year there that was okay. But for the most part, since that trade just really wasn't the same pitcher. It was bounced around the league a little bit. Now though, what he did last year, a stat that jumps out to me more than any other. You have incredible ground ball pitchers in this game like Framber Valdez, who's I mean, you can make an argument he's the greatest ground ball pitcher of all time. And actually, we wrote an article about that over at JustBaseball.com. If you Google greatest uh, ground ball pitcher ever, I think, Framber Valdez, you'll find it. Really good stuff. You know, you'd expect him to be the guy that leads Major League Baseball in home runs per nine. That was Jose Quintana last year. Nobody limited home runs more than Quintana. And he was pitching in Pittsburgh and St. Louis in the NL Central. Now, the NL Central doesn't have the best lineups. But they got ballparks where guys hit home runs. He had to make a lot of starts in, in uh, the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. And Quintana kept the ball in the yard. He's got a good defense behind him. He's under a two-year $26 million contract, $13 million a season. That's not a lot of risk there to me. 
to get that that real depth in your rotation. You had that with him. You had that with Carrasco. You had that with Peterson. You have the upside at top with Verlander and Scherzer, and you added that final piece, which is Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga is really the great elevator for this pitching staff. I think there's a couple elevators on this roster. It's Senga, and then on the offensive side, it's the, the kids, right? It's it's Alvarez, it's Mark Vientos, it's Brett Beatty, um, even an outside chance of a Ronnie Mauricio. Those are the guys that are little X-factors that could push it to another level. Kodai Senga is that on the pitching staff where he could be a sensation. He could be you know, Tanaka's first year over. He could be a Darvish, and he did speak about how Darvish is kind of a mentor to him that really has helped him along the way and really uh, kind of pushed him towards the idea of really wanting to pitch in the majors. So that is that guy that if Senga is awesome, you have three dogs at top of your rotation that you're going to feel great about come October. Now, Chris Bassett has this very high floor. He signs with the Blue Jays, three years, $63 million, I believe, you know, 21 a year. So you're paying $6 million more if you, you signed on to Bassett and over a three-year deal, uh, you know, $18 million more than what you're getting in Senga. But Senga's younger and has the upside, especially with that ghost fork, to really be a special strikeout pitcher in the big leagues. He has some velocity that you like, and we'll see where he's sitting in spring training. He touched one-on-one over there. He could be sitting 60, or 60, geez. He could be sitting 93, 94 in spring training, and the ghost fork could be moving less because the ball's a little bit bigger, and it, it might not translate, and we're looking at an entirely different conversation, but he was worth that risk. He was worth that gamble because what he could be could take the Mets to a completely different level than really any other free agent that they could have signed at the juncture when they signed him. Because as much as you want to say, go out and get Verlander and Carlos Rodon, not realistic. And I'll tell you, as much as the link, the, the Lankies, geez, man, this kid can't talk right now. Man, I'm, I'm all over the place. <laughs> as much as the Yankees love their signing of Carlos Rodon, and it's six years, 162, um, you know, that's an investment they were comfortable making. From a Mets perspective, if your idea is to really keep this roster free of really long-term risk, you're just, at that point, better off keeping a DeGrom at one, was it 187 um, or 185 as you are signing a Rodon at 162. I mean, obviously DeGrom wants a five-year deal with the six-year option, which could take it to more, but... The injury risk on Rodon over a six-year deal, it was never going to happen, particularly after you already got Verlander in place. So you take him off the board. You're looking at upside from this free agent class at the time when they signed Senga, and really the only argument you could have made rather than getting him is bringing back Chris Bassett. But if you want to improve your roster from what you had last year, as much as I love Chris Bassett throughout the season, he had two big games he pitched in against the Braves and against the Padres to push the Mets into the NLDS. If he wins either of those two starts, the Mets at least get a long series. He lost both of those games. It didn't pitch well in either of them. 
And that kind of probably left a, a pretty bad taste in Steve Cohen's mouth and Billy Epler's mouth, maybe even Buck Showalter's mouth, to the point where you're looking at this new guy coming in from Japan who has these flashy pitches that, that look incredible on tape. And you think, you know what? Bring him in. You bring him into our new pitching program with the analytics that, that, that he wants to take advantage of. And you, you look at this as a project where, hey, if this goes right with Kodai Senga, the Mets rotation can be very scary. So love to see him introduced today. I uh, was happy with everything that I heard across the board. And just looking forward to seeing what this guy actually is once we get to real baseball in spring training. Because right now, again, if I was to try to dissect his arsenal, I'm going off very limited information. But what we do know is he has two pitches that should play in the fastball and the ghost fork. He has a slider that he can manipulate. It's kind of a slider and a cutter. He can throw it a little bit harder, throw a little bit softer. That gives him a potential four-pitch mix. If he can, and also you got to remember, there's a lot of good, uh, you know, sliders that have come through the Mets over the past year. Here, you got Edwin Diaz and Jacob Degrom. You had Adam Montavino last season, and Diaz is still in place. And Diaz also reached out to Kodai Senga, who's the one name that Senga mentioned when it comes to have you talked to any of your teammates. If they can get that slider up to 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 snuff there, where he can have three real weapons, he can make a lot of noise this season. So. Uh, we'll see what happens here, but I think that this is a guy that you should really be excited about, and we'll just have to wait to, to actually get to watch him pitch. But uh, good good first day, I guess, with the Mets. Now, a guy who spent a lot of days with the Mets, we're going to close the show on. I, I finally got around to watching Brandon Nimmo's introductory press conference. I also saw an interview he did uh, with the, I think it's the Mets Up podcast from, uh, I guess it's the, I think it is a Mets podcast. With, uh, James Shiano did the interview. I want to go over some of the things I heard from all of that as well. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, another word from our sponsors. Brandon Nimmo is a lifelong Met. I did a podcast about that after the signing. Uh... Not a, a little bit emotional for me to do it. I really do um, appreciate Brandon Nemo and, and love that he got this deal. And I do encourage you, if you haven't listened or watched it yet, to go back and 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 uh, take in that that show because I really did try to 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 kind of put into context the journey that Brandon Nemo has been on. But getting to watch him in his blue and orange suit with the with a blue suit with the orange tie and see him yucking it up with, with Buck Showalter, the way the two of them are interacting and laughing together, and see Scott Boris and Billy up there for that presser last week. Really great to see. And some of the things that jumped out, one, Billy Epler, he mentioned that when you are committing to a player for this many years, you have to wonder, or you, you, you want to know that the investment you're making in the player is in good hands. And the Mets felt extremely confident in that with Brandon Emma, which is funny because... I think on the surface, a national perspective would be, man, eight years for a guy that's had as many injuries as Brandon Nimmo has had, uh, how can you feel safe in that investment? For the Mets, they know what this guy is like behind the scenes, and they know how hard he works and how he really does try to get better, and that's something that you can't take away from Brandon Nimmo. He is a grinder that is trying to be the best baseball player he can be 
every single day. He absolutely loves baseball. We've seen that from day one with him. So, yeah, you feel confident giving him an eight-year deal because you know no matter what, even if the skills diminish, the guy's never going to stop trying to be better. He's not going to just be like, all right, I got my cash. I got my my money. My, my future is set. I'm good. No, he he wanted market value. He wanted to get as much money as he as he could because this is his profession. He deserves that. But this wasn't just about the money for Brandon Nemo. This was about getting a chance to stay home and and see it through, as he said. See the Mets win a World Series. You know he got drafted by Sandy Alderson. He he said kind of a full circle nature that he was part of this process again. And you know to to still be with this team to have such. Um, great ties in this organization. Yeah, it's a great day for Brandon Nemo to to continue to be a Met. Um, and and I really do think that he'll continue to get better. And I, I did reference that interview he did the exclusive uh, with James Shiano. And one of the things that I like about what they discussed is he did ask him a couple things. One, what was the first thing you spent your money on when you signed as uh, you know out of the draft? He got the $2.1 million signing bonus. He said an iPad, but he didn't really splurge. The money was set aside. His dad told him to really uh, you know, not touch it too much and and put that put that away and just focus on being a baseball player. And so an iPad was all he got, which I'm sure helped him along his journey developing as a prospect as well. Now he's talking about buying real estate and setting roots down. But I, I just think that when you hear Nimmo speak about his father, you understand how he was raised and how his head's you know in a good place, and uh, you know really how he can continue, or just you know that, that, as Epler was saying, the investment that the Mets made in him, you know it's in the person as much as the player. And, and Buck Showalter also said, you know he was raised right when you had a good mom and dad that they just they trust him, they trust Brandon Emmo, and, and and I would too if I'm a Mets fan that he's going to do everything he can to be the best starting center fielder and leadoff hitter that this team can have for as long as he is in those roles. So uh, I loved all of it. Um, another question from that, that interview um, with James Shiano was about the the, the walks, the, the running out walks and where that came from. And he just said, growing up, his dad told him to play like his hair was on fire. And you know the only thing he controls is that he plays hard and that you know, when, when fans watch him play, he wants them to understand that no matter what, it's giving his his – his absolute utmost amount of effort, and we see that. And that's why he sprints out walks because he said, you know what, every once in a while, maybe the catcher drops the ball, it gets by him, you were able to sprint out that walk, and suddenly you could be standing on second base. Now, has that happened since Brandon Nemo had put a Mets uniform on? I can't tell you if it has. Uh, I don't necessarily recall that instance, but it's about a mindset. It's about playing uh, as hard as you can. It's about having that dirty jersey that he loves. Um and you know you're going to get that from Nemo for as many games as he's available. And you look at him as an athlete, and there's really no reason that he can't be healthy moving forward. I just think it's a great deal all around. So a lot of excitement right now at the Mets with these introductory press conferences. Um, we'll see when they do Verlander. I haven't actually checked in on that one, if, if that's going to be coming up soon. I imagine at some point this week before the holidays we could see that, and I, and I will discuss it. Um, when that press conference comes on tomorrow's show, I'm writing an article right now for just baseball comparing Francisco Lindor's contract to the other contracts given out over the last two years for the, these top tier shortstops. And I think it puts 
uh, Lindor's deal in a much better light when you see some of the other money that was spent. So that's what tomorrow's show will be on. Um, and then we'll, we'll probably close out the week with some news maybe or, or whatever else uh, the Mets end up doing. But that's going to be all for today's show. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show, at Locked On Mets. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Now for your second listen, check out Locked On Sports Today, hosted by Peter Bukowski. Locked On Sports Today is where you want to go to stay up to date. With everything going on around sports, we got the NFL season winding down. You got the NBA in full swing. Of course, the MLB offseason going on, NHL. So much to listen to at Locked On Sports today. You can find it on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts.